Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to Christmas week in the church. What a great time of year to gather, have the kids help usher us in to this time of year, and, and just so grateful um, we get to steward this message, a message that forever changed the world, that the God of the universe came. He came as a person in Jesus of Nazareth, and we get to steward this story and talk about the implications for our lives. But I want to tell you at the beginning of the message this morning, I got, I've got two really irrational fears in life. I've got probably a lot more than two, but at least these two, okay, irrational fears. Number one, I have an irrational fear of getting stuck in the drive-through lane of fast food restaurants. True, you think I'm kidding. Just ask Kendra, Lily, or Kaylin. Like, we'll pull in the drive-through lane, and especially those lanes where they're like curbs on both sides so you can't get out, and then you see cars like not moving in front of you, and then they start stacking up behind you. You been there? That's like every Tuesday, right? So you're stacking there, and there's just something inside him. It's a completely irrational fear. Second irrational fear is running out of snacks in an airplane at 30,000 feet. Yeah, I just don't handle that well at all. That's not, not good, right? I know, I need therapy, okay? I need therapy, therapy that way. Kendra has an abundance of patience for all of us on the family front. And so, did you know that Americans this year, in 2023, will spend 37 billion, B, billion hours waiting in line? 37 billion hours waiting in line. I'm convinced a good chunk of that was in the Ticketmaster queue for T-Swift tickets. That's where I think a good chunk of those hours went. I'm terrible at waiting. Anybody else can confess I'm, I'm terrible at waiting. I'm just not good at it. It's, it's one of those things. And just when I feel like I'm making progress, I'm thrust into a drive through lane on the wrong day at the wrong time. And psychologists tell us that really there's like patience levels. They measure patience levels this way. There's three main categories or aspects of patience. See if you identify with these. There's interpersonal patience, the demands and failings of people around you. That's what interpersonal patience is. That requires a, a measure of grace and empathy. And, and then there's life hardship patience, the perseverance to overcome serious setbacks that you go through in life. And then the third category is called daily hassles, the daily hassles patients. You know, like traffic and technology, and basically any time you pick up the phone to try to reach anybody's customer service. Does anybody else struggle with just trying to get a human being? I might have spent 28 minutes yesterday on the phone with a company that shall remain unnamed at this point, just trying to get through the chat bot you with me? Press this, hit that. I just want to talk to a person who can help me sort something out. That would be daily hassle, patience. Now, where do you think Americans are in the trending area with patience and waiting? How do you think we're doing these days? You want to test it on your way home. When the light turns green, just wait like two extra seconds. Okay, we'll just make that a congregational assignment. This is going to be so great. I'm sorry, Whitestown PD officers and all that. We just, just go with me here on this. We're just going to test the patience level of our immediate community. And we'll see, right? Well, Advent 
Advent is the season where God invites us to meet him in the waiting. Where he says, come and I will be near you in those spaces where you would prefer not to be and generally are much longer than we'd like. It's what I want to call this morning the blank page seasons of life. Church, I want you to know I had a completely different message this week, all prepared that I'm super excited to share at some point. And somewhere earlier in the week, the Lord just wouldn't give me a release to speak that message this morning. And I want you to know my week would have gone a lot smoother had that been the case. But I've learned many years ago, you just lay down your plans and you always submit to what he wants. As best as I try and say, Lord, what is it that you want? And as clear as I can discern, church, the Lord has brought someone here this morning to hear this. God sees you in your blank page. He sees you and he wants to impart an Advent anthem to you this morning in your blank page. And here's the anthem. Do not give up. Do not give in. He will join you in the waiting. Do not give up. Do not give in. He'll join you in the waiting. You see the blank page in your Bible. Do you know that every one of your Bibles, you can go ahead and try to flip there. If you've got your physical Bible, you can go ahead and find the blank page between the Old and New Testaments. Did you know that everyone has that? The publishers insert a blank page to communicate 400 years of waiting. This communicates a period of time where the people of God, certainly long before God decided to deliver on his promise, had concluded perhaps God had forgotten about his promise because it went from 100 to 200 to 300 to 400. And that's why we have four Advent candles that each represent 100 years in the journey. And as the light grows towards Christmas Eve, when we light the Christ candle, we see that he did deliver on his promise. But this space of the blank page, some of you right now, you have a PhD in the blank page seasons of life, in the waiting rooms, in that space between what was and what will be. If you've been around Eagle for any length of time, I gave us a phrase a few years ago to describe the blank page season, to describe the waiting rooms. Do you remember the phrase liminal space? Say liminal space. It's the space in between. It's this. It's the space between what God has promised and when he will deliver. It's the space when you have heard and discerned and clearly understood what God wants and you are waiting and trusting and crying out and wailing for the delivery on the promise. It's the blank page seasons of life. And if, if, the scripture, if I know these scriptures at all, it seems to me that if you're not there now, just keep living, because you're going to come here. And so what I want to invite us into this morning is, I want to invite us to experience the God of the blank page in three ways this morning. We're going to see from Galatians 4, we're going to start there, and we're going to end in Daniel 3. And we're going to look at three ways God meets us to develop an Advent anthem in our hearts, and then I'm going to call us to respond. Because I believe this morning, a big part of what the Lord wanted is the Lord wants to impart some things 
to those of you who find yourself in that very space this morning. And he wants you to know that he sees you and he's not alone and he joins you. And he wants to give you something to endure what it is you're walking in and through right now. So three ways, Galatians 4, if you have a Bible, you can open it there. Note sheets are on your way in. Those of you joining online, your online host will direct you accordingly. So here's Galatians 4. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about this waiting and this yearning of Advent. said, when the fullness of time had come, underline fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, there are two terms in the New Testament for time. The first is chronos. That's where we get our word chronological. That's our time. Days, minutes, hours, seconds, chronos, our time. And then there's kairos. That's the word Paul uses here in Galatians 4. Kairos is the God-appointed time. And so there's this, there's this intersection of chronos and kairos. Now, you want to take a guess at generally how that goes? Generally, how do we receive our chronos compared to God's kairos? Do you find yourself praying very often, Lord, you're just moving a little too fast for me on that one. Could you slow it down? Have you prayed that very often? I can't remember if I have. I don't think I've prayed that much. I've prayed an awful lot about, Lord, how long and why and when and why the scriptures talk about wait on the Lord and wait on the Lord because there's something about the human heart that has a propensity to kind of move our chronos along at a higher and faster pace than his kairos. And do you know what sifts that? The blank page. Because the people of God heard this in Isaiah chapter 9. Look at this. I put these in your notes. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you imagine the people of God? If you know the book of Isaiah at all, the context is a setting of great darkness. It was a really difficult time in the nation. It looked like a mess. It looked like the people of God were on the brink of being completely wiped out. And into that darkness, God proclaimed this kind of hope. Can you imagine the amens and the hallelujahs? And surely they thought, praise God, nine months from now maybe, or a year from now, or two years from now. Do you know how many years it was from then until the Virgin Mary gives birth to Jesus? 700 years. Welcome to the blank page. And then the people of God heard this, Hosea chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, and they would go, yes and amen, 720 years before Mary and Joseph escape from Egypt under Herod's wrath. And then I put a few other examples just to kind of reference points. Remember Abraham and Sarah's story in Genesis? They wait 25 years to have Isaac's born. Joseph waits 14 years for his dream to be fulfilled. Moses spends 40 years in obscurity in Midian after the burning bush to step in to what it is God wanted him to step into. And then Mary, after giving birth to Jesus, waits 30 years before he goes public with his Messiah ministry. Now I want you to think about this with me. Now ladies, the one person on the planet, more than anyone else at that point, who knew how special Jesus was, was Mary. Everyone else was kind of hearing the promises and you know, trying to internalize what had happened. Mary knows above everyone else because she's with child and she's never been with a man. Even if she was struggling with 
figuring it out, she would have to say, this has to be God. This child has to be unique. Can you imagine? Mom, Dad, can you imagine parenting Jesus? You thought your children were a challenge to parent these days. You thought your children like have a PhD in the negotiation tactics and all that. How would you like to try to provide some parental guidance to the Son of God, King of glory? There's no parent where a child's like born and you know they, you hold your baby and you just look at him and say, oh, I can't wait to wreck your life. <laughs> no parent says that. But we don't always get it right. And the kids now are saying, amen, you don't always get it. We know, kids, we don't always get it right. We're imperfect. We fall short. But here's Mary, who's raising with Joseph, the son of God. And she waits 30 years for him to kind of go public. Blank page. Can you imagine in Mary and Joseph? I was just picturing like the, you know, mom and dad, how you have those kind of later in the night bedroom conversations when you're trying to deal with the household dynamics. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph's? I can see Joseph saying, "Hun, do you think like, do you think we could move this thing along with Jesus? He's probably maybe 20, 21, and the Romans are being what the Romans were, and the culture's going not great, and it's a mess, and they know they're raising the Messiah who's the light of the world, and they're like, he's just like sanding footstools and wood benches in the workshop. They're like, can you picture him like, do you think we could talk to Jesus tomorrow? Maybe kind of Kronos Kairos, see that? Move it along. And Paul says, at the appointed time, at the Kairos moment, Jesus comes. And it's the blank page that sifts this. So this is our first way we meet God in the blank page. We meet him when there's a surrender of our Kairos to his Kronos. That's where you meet him. When there's a relinquishment of the way we think things need to go, when they need to go there. And Advent is this unbelievable reminder. It's annually in the church calendar to help ground the people of God in this. God will deliver on his promises, church. Advent reminds us. That's why we light the candles. He will deliver. But hear this. More slowly than we prefer. 400 years of silence in between. More slowly and not in the manner they would have envisioned either. And Advent is that season that just kind of grounds us in that. And you say, well, why? Why would God do that? Why not just speed it along that way? Because he's up to something. Look at Titus 2. I put this in your notes. To purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It's never with God just about what it is we're waiting for. It's always with God who we're becoming while we wait. That's the bigger picture. For the people of God, it wasn't just about delivering a Messiah to them. It was about who they were becoming as the people of God when the Messiah was delivered so they could represent what he want represented in that day at that setting. Because again, their role was all the surrounding nations were to look at Israel and say, that's what Yahweh's like and that's how you live your life with him. So he says, you know what, I got to stretch up. You notice God stretches Kronos and Kairos. He just kind of widens that gap. And in that blank page space, he meets us there and he does some things that only the blank page can do. Because there is something with God. He's just in his mercy and grace. He only like, he only pours out his blessings and favor on our lives. So what I want to call at the pace of grace. Have you noticed this with God? As you develop the character to handle what it is he can entrust you with, because too much too soon will crush us. 
It's his mercy and grace that brings us into the blank page and says, hey, we need, to, we need to have some internal development work here. We've got to get some things worked on the inside so it can uphold the weight of what I'm going to entrust and bless you with. You're going to walk into some good works. You're going to step into your destiny, but you're going to do it at the pace of grace. And generally speaking, we're going to receive the pace of grace is slower than we prefer. So when I was in my 20s, you've heard me say this many times if you've been around Eagle. When I was in my 20s, I lived my 20s like I was never going to turn 30. Anybody else there? 20-somethings. If you're there, I'm going to try to help you. That doesn't work very well. But I was just so driven, and I just, I was just, I was exhausting myself in my, like I'm never going to turn 30. And I met an older pastor named Sundar Christian in Toronto, Canada. And he stepped into my life to be a mentor role. What a gift of grace that's been for the last 29 years. He's still in my life in that way. We still have Zoom calls. We still exchange emails and text messages. He's still there. He's 78. He's retired as a pastor in Toronto, but he's still investing in my life. It was in my 20s when he looked across the table at a restaurant with me. He said, Eric, I want you to think about something right now. I want to give you a principle that's going to be really important for the rest of your life in ministry. And he called it the depth breadth principle. He said, I want you to spend your time and energy, I want you to focus your energies on depth and relinquish and let God take care of the breadth. Depth, breadth. Focus on depth, let him take care of the breadth. And then he pressed it one step further. He said, I want you to spend your 20s and 30s drilling the wells of your life down deep. Take your 20s and 30s and go deep in God's word, deep in prayer, deep in your relationship with your marriage, deep in your relationship with your kids. You've got to go deep in your wells, in your 20s and 30s, because as God spreads out the responsibilities of your life, as you step into his plans and purposes, as they grow and expand, you're going to need to draw upon those wells. Depth versus breadth. In my mid-twenties when he shared that with me, I I couldn't piece it all together then. I believed him. I was just, but what a gift of grace that's been to me. Church, that's where I started, like, one-year Bible reading. Many of you have been asking how many times you've been reading through the Bible. Basically, every year since 1995, Genesis to Revelation. Where did that start? After that conversation. That's when I started going deep in, like, prayer life and silence and solitude, deep in Sabbath practices Where did all that start? It started back then. And so I'm often asked, it's like, Simpson, you've got a lot going on. How do you like sustain everything you have going on? I would say at some measure, church, it's this. It's all the wells that have been drilled down in the 20s and 30s, just now at age 54, stepping in more to all that God wants me to step into and just kind of say, Lord, I'm just going to be faithful to say yes and amen to what you want me to say yes and amen to. And then the wells have to have the streams of living water drilled deep enough to draw upon to sustain. So listen, those young people... Tune in. Hey, if you've been counting lights, come on back for a second, okay? Those of you in your 20s and 30s, listen. If you just internalize this principle, gosh, it will be such a gift to you. Would you give your 20s and 30s to depth and relinquish this cultural propensity and perhaps sometimes personal pressure you put on yourself or sometimes it might be family pressure to like 
you're, gonna, you're trying to race through your 20s and 30s like you're never going to turn 30 or 40. And that's not the way because then your life's going to be spread out so thin and you're going to have no depth to sustain it. So that's why when you hit your 40s, you end up in the counseling office, in the pastor's office, and everything's imploding. And you've got to decide right now in your 20s and 30s to say, you know what? By God's grace, I'm going deep. Depth versus breadth. I'm going to, with God's help, focus on depth, and I'm going to let God take care of the breadth. And he'll work it at the pace of grace. And he'll only give you what your development is in line with to handle. That's a gift, because too much too soon will crush you. This Kronos Kairos, do you see this? Is this connecting at all? Is this making sense? So Kron young people, that's where, like, surrendering your Kronos to his Kairos and then trusting this at the pace of grace, it will unfold. You know where that all gets sorted out? The blank page. Now listen, those of you in the not-so-young people category, okay, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about could perhaps some of the scars that have been going on and perhaps the midlife and beyond, could it be this that you've worked so hard to accelerate your life to a point and you're recognizing maybe some of the vacuum on the inside, like there's just, the wells aren't deep enough and perhaps, perhaps today God's coming to you in the blank page and saying, it's time to focus on depth. We've got to get some wells down, get some living water flowing to sustain what it is I'm entrusting to you. So this is the first First way God comes and meets us, it's the Kronos-Kairos intersection. There's this surrender point that has to happen. And from my experience, it's the blank page where that gets brought to the surface. Second area God meets us in this liminal space, in this blank page, is there's this right-sizing of self that happens on the blank page. Here's how Paul put it, 2 Corinthians 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffer in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Someone's here today, and that's exactly your life. You're right now. You've been saying, Lord, I can't endure one more thing. You're at the end of your rope, and you feel right here with the Apostle Paul. And Paul goes on to say, look, verse 9, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. My translation of verse 9 is God's address is found at the end of your rope. I remember I was in, I don't know, I'd been in ministry many years, and this gentleman, several years ago now, but this gentleman comes to me, he's in his 40s, he said, Pastor Eric, I need to have a conversation, things in life aren't going so great, I want to talk about it. Okay. So he sits down across the table from me, and he proceeds to spend the first 15 minutes of the dialogue outlining his vision for his life in his 40s. How he'd spent his 20s and 30s basically building a life where he doesn't want to rely on anyone or anything to get what he wants to get all alone. And he was very like energetic and passionate about his diagram that he drew for me of his life that was completely dependent on no one but himself. So after he finished his long speech, I just inserted a little Dr. Phil. You know, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? How's that working out? There's something in the human heart that has this propensity that like we want to spend the first half of our life building a great big tower, making a name for ourselves. And then somewhere around the age 40, God says, jump. Yeah. 
And we better be careful how high we build it. Do you know where the word jump comes in? Blank page seasons. The blank page, and God's got some people on the blank page around that stage of life, and your tower's gotten quite high, basically built like that man in my office that day, built this great big tower, and the essence of the conversation was, I think God's saying to you, jump. That's not what he was interested in talking about, but that's really what, because you might not rely on yourself, but on God. Do you see, God's vision for self is different than what we ourselves either internalize or what our cultural moment is placing pressure on. Can you just, can you think about the absurdity of what we try to pressure self to deliver today? Like we actually are pressuring self to be the sole source of identity and meaning and hope and purpose and joy and wonder. Do you feel the exhaustion of trying to like, you mean you got to like be responsible for all of that yourself? Parenthesis, I think this is some of what's contributing to the crisis we have in our country today with anxiety and stress and suicide. Could it be that we're pressing self to deliver in ways that God never intended self to deliver? Because Jesus' vision for self, shocker, is different. He says, hey, human race, self isn't to be relied upon and trusted in. Self is to be crucified and surrendered. So you want the life, the life you're really looking for isn't turning more in on yourself and looking more this way. Jesus says, hey, actually the more you try to build your life for yourself, around yourself, by yourself, the more it's going to slip through your hands. Like sand through the hourglass, it's just going to keep sliding away from you. And where you find true life is when you yield and surrender and you say, ah, the crucified life, the surrendered life. You see, God's vision for Project Self is not you do you. His vision for Project Self is you do me and you'll find what you're looking for. You do me, you trust me, you surrender to me, you give me all your brokenness, all your questions, all your mess. You give me your whole self and I'll give you what you're looking for. That's the vision he has for self. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas, Jesus comes to humanity. He comes close. He moves into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says in John 1. He says, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for people. And his invitation is, come and die and you will live. Church, we're going to get from Christmas to Easter. And when we get there, that invitation is going to become even clearer. But it's clear right now at Advent that the light of his presence that you're looking for is not found by looking in. We've got to look out, look up. And you know where that gets sorted out? The blank page. And perhaps some of you are in a blank page season and he's trying to help you see that you're not nearly strong enough or smart enough to sort out what you're trying to sort out. You're trying to do it all yourself. You're trying to manage your way through it all. And God's trying to, in a multiplicity of ways, bring you to the end of yourself, bring you to the end of your own rope, and you're going to find what? He's there. And he's very patient. He'll keep us at the blank page long enough to get us to that place because the flourishing life you're longing to find is found in that posture 
of surrender. So two ways we've seen so far, right? God comes to us in the blank page. The first one is there's this kairos chronos, this surrender and sifting that goes on. And then the second way is there's this yielding of self to find the life we're really looking for. It's a right-sizing and a clarification of role. Thirdly and finally, I want you to look at now, the third phrase I put on this today is liminal space develops tragic optimism. Tragic optimism. Now that's a phrase, not original with me, it's from Viktor Frankl. Those of you who have taken a fair amount of psychology classes in your day, you will have read most likely his book, Man's Search for Meaning. In 1991, the Library of Congress declared it the 10 most influential books in America, Man's Search for Meaning. Say, well, who's Viktor Frankl? Well, he was an Austrian professor of psychology and neurology, and he was a survivor of concentration camps in Germany for three years. And when he got out... He began to teach and to write, and one of the writings was Man's Search for Meaning because he worked through, after going through the horrific experience of all that that embodied, he began to reflect on and he came upon what's called logotherapy. It's a new school of psychology that he created. Logotherapy said this, hey, all these other psychologists that said human beings are driven by food or by sex or by fears or by desires, he's like, actually, they've got it all wrong. At the core of a human being is meaning. And here's what he said. I put this quote in your notes and it's up here on the screen. It says, human beings are meaning beings. We're not driven by desire or fear or power, meaning beings. We can live without food, but we can't live without narrative hope. We must have meaning and purpose to keep going. Now, as far as I know, Viktor Frankl was not a follower of Jesus. Maybe he became that along the way. But in his writings, that was not, it was not coming from that. He's just speaking about, as a human being, surviving in the concentration camps. And he began to assess, like, why did some make it and some didn't? Good question, right? Because he saw a lot of people die, and then some of them lived. And so he said three main kind of categories of people as he looked back on. He said the first group of people, they had no hope, and they just died. They lost all hope, and they just died. They just thought, what's the point? And they were dead fairly quickly in the concentration. The second group that died, he said they had naive hope. Naive hope was this. They picked a date out in the future, fairly random, with no real substance to it, and said, this is when we're going to get out. So March 10th, we're going to get out. He said, literally, on March 11th, people died. Naive hope. And then he said this. The group, in his opinion, that survived possessed something he called tragic optimism. Tragic optimism is this. They had a transcendent hope that was anchored in a future that they could access in the present moment. See, transcendent hope is this. Transcendent hope doesn't deny the darkness, doesn't deny the suffering, doesn't deny the mess that you're in. Transcendent hope looks the darkness straight in the eye and says, this is not the end. I am made for another world. I will get through this. That's transcendent hope. That's tragic optimism. When I heard that, when I read this part out of this, I was like, that's Advent. That's Christmas story. That's tragic optimism. Do you see that, church? It's being able to stare the darkness right in the face, to stare the blank page. Some of you enduring the painfulness of the blank page to a degree that is just driving your life to the end of itself, and the pain is so intense. And you can stare that right in the face with tragic optimism. You could say, this is not the end of the story. 
This is a really difficult part. This is painful. I don't like it. I'm staring at the darkness. This is really hard. But by his grace, this is not the end, and I will make it through. He said, those are the people who lived. This is how we, as a people of Jesus, this is how you, so we can wait in a fertility clinic, going through tears of disappointment month after month, with the light of his presence, tragic optimism. This is how you can wait in an unemployment office, and you've got the knot in your stomach because you can't figure out how the end of the month bills are going to be paid, and you're sitting there in the midst of that with the light of his presence, tragic optimism. This is how those of you in your singleness, with the ache of loneliness, you long to be with someone, you long to have that, and you're just, you're groaning in that singleness with the light of his presence, tragic optimism. This is how those of you waiting for a prodigal son or daughter to come home, and the ache that brings the heart, you can do that with the light of his presence, tragic optimism. Those of you going through hurt and betrayal, you can wait in the hurt and in the betrayal. You can wait for that healing to come with the light of his presence. Tragic optimism. Cloud of depression that just hangs over your life. You can wait for that to lift with the light of his presence. Tragic optimism. We can wait in the blank page. We can wait in the liminal space. We can wait in that period between what was and what will be. We can groan and we can tremble. We can stare that darkness right in the face with the light of his presence. That's called tragic optimism, church. And that's what I believe we see displayed most clearly in the Old Testament story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. I want you to think about this. I thought about Daniel chapter 3 in light of tragic optimism. I thought that's what these three teenage Hebrew boys had. You remember the backdrop to the story? They were given a bow or burn declaration. These three Hebrew boys in the middle of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar in the position of authority and power builds a 90-foot statue and says, bow to the statue, declare your allegiance to the statue, or burn in the fire. And these three Hebrew boys, here's what they say. Verse 16 to 18, Daniel 3. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend, our, defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, notice, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, they know that perhaps they're not going to get bypassed around it. They're probably going to go through it. The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Underline this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So basically, the Hebrew boys say to the king of the land, hey, we hear your bower burn proposal. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're prepared to die for him. Your move. Your move. Well, that infuriates the king. What are these three Hebrew teenage boys going to... So he has the furnace heated seven times hotter than before, so hot, the guards that are going to toss him in die trying to toss him in. And they're tossed into the fire. And he feels like he's finally kind of getting his way until... Look at verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement, asks his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. 
and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And that phrase, the son of the gods there, most scholars believe that was Jesus, like a theophany, Jesus' presence with his people at that moment. Like Jesus joined Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Church, notice, that's tragic optimism right there. Those, what did those three have? They were able to stare the furnace right in the face, to stare Nebuchadnezzar. Certainly wasn't a comfortable setting, especially when they watched the guards die, probably right in front of them. I'm sure there was a lot of fear, and, but they had, what tragic optimism? They looked it right in the face and said, our God's able to save us, and if not, we'll die for him. He gets the last word, this isn't the end of the story. And they looked it right in the face. And this is a thread we see all through Scripture that when you give your life to Jesus, when you begin to follow him, he doesn't promise you a bypassing of the furnaces of life. He doesn't say you're going to bypass the blank page. What does he say? He says, I will be with you. I will join you in it. That's the beauty. He'll give the promise of God's power in our life as followers of Jesus in suffering. The promise isn't to bypass it. The promise is to walk through it with the light of his presence to enjoy the promises through perseverance. That's the power. He gives us the power to go through the fires this way, not try to manage our way around them. And that's the general pattern. That's what Advent is. And that's why I believe today he's saying to some of you, in your own personal blank page moment, do not give up. Do not give in. Look around. He will join you in the waiting. There's one more in the fire. There's one more. And Advent says, open your eyes and see someone has come to join us. And that someone, he has a name. It's not just anyone. It's the King of glory, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. He came. He'll join you in the fire. And we say, well, that means that in the midst of that blank page, in the midst of everything that's being sifted in your heart, chronos, kairos, coming to the end of yourself, tragic optimism, right there, what's he going to breathe into you? Look around, there's someone else in the fire, he's joined you, and he will breathe a strength into you to endure and to walk through it, to persevere through to his promises. That's what he's going to give you. That's Advent. This is the Advent anthem. Don't tap out. No tapping out. Because the tendency is, when we're really frustrated about Kronos and Kairos, you're like, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to do it my way, Lord. How's that working out? I'm going to get my Kronos moving how I want to go. Set aside your Kairos. That's not, nope. Don't tap out. Relinquish. Instead of looking to yourself, begin to look up. Look to him and say, okay, God, and then in the fire, the tragic optimism, you're going to look, hey, someone join me here. I'm not alone in here. He's with me. And so this is what I want to lead us in our response. John, come on up. I shared earlier in the week with John where I was going with this. I said, hey, the, the previous message we had all prepared, just kind of setting that aside. Here's where I think this is where the Lord wants us to go. And then John pulled out his guitar and said, I think this is the song that we need to have for people to just begin to respond to the Lord in. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to have a time now. We're just going to have a time, some little space here. Going to open up the prayer benches, open up the front here. If the prayer benches fill up, you can just use the front here. Because I want to ask you to respond. 
And here's the response I want to call for. If you're in a blank page season, if you're in liminal space and you know it, if you're in the middle of the fire, I want you to come. And by coming, here's what you're saying. By coming, you're saying this. You're saying, God, I'm in the blank page. I'm in the liminal space. I'm in the waiting. Yet I am there and I desperately need your help. This is really hard. That's what you're saying. And then you're going to say, by God's grace and through his strength. By coming, you're saying this. I'm not going to tap out. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up. And I believe today, church, some of you, he's going to remind you today. He's joined you in the waiting. He's with you. There's another in the fire. You're not alone. And some of you come in carrying so much weight and so much, they're just things that you feel like just so weighted down with the things of this life. And Jesus says, come, come. I've joined you in the fire. Let me give you my strength. Let me give you what you need to persevere, to not tap out, to surrender, to yield. For some of you, your surrender point may be you're at the end of Project Self for the first time. You're gonna say yes to Jesus. You need to come and kneel before and say, Jesus, I'm gonna give you my whole life. You can do that this morning. Say, Jesus, I'm tired of doing this my way. I'm just exhausted. I'm at the end of myself. You come and kneel before the Lord and give it to him. And you'll find, hey, there's someone joining you. And then there are others of you, you're just, you're just at this place where you just, you don't have to, you don't have to just kind of slog your, grind your way through this. That Advent season says you can come and you can receive strength from the Lord. Remember the promise of Isaiah? Those who wait on the Lord, what? Will renew their strength. God wants to renew some strength today. He wants to renew some strength in some of you. And so I'm going to ask you to do something fairly bold, and that's to come and kneel before him. And this is church family. Or even if you're a guest here today, maybe the Lord brought you as a guest just for this. Maybe that's why you're here, beyond just the kids singing. Maybe it's the Lord speaking to you in this. Come. He's going to give you what you've been longing to receive. And then last word before I pray here. There's others in the room. You bear the experience, the scars, from weathering your personal blank page seasons. There's many in the room. You, you've gone through these. Here's what I'm asking you to do. We need those of you who've gone before and who've weathered these blank pages, who've endured the furnaces. Here's what we need you to do. We need you to sing the Advent anthem back to those in the middle of the fire right now. Sing it back. Sing back God's faithfulness. Sing back God's hope. Sing back God's goodness. Sing back God's promises. Sing back that God is with you, God is for you, and God is able. Those of you who've been through the fire, and you can sing back to those in it. You see that? That's a role. That's the body together. And so as John leads through this song, this is kind of a song of response time. It's going to be quiet melody. There's another in the fire. And he's joining you. He's holding back the seed. And I want you, if if you feel led to come and kneel, I just want you to kneel before the Lord and I want you to have this vision. I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to picture there's a fourth in the fire and he comes to give you what you need to wait on the Lord. 
and he'll grant you the strength to declare not just an Advent anthem that's just a nice thing to take home on a note sheet, but you'll bear an Advent anthem that's stamped on your soul. I will not give up. I will not give in. I will wait on the Lord because he joins me in the suffering. And so Jesus, here we are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for sacred space. Come, Holy Spirit, come. I believe there's many here who just feel it deep on the inside. Jesus, meet them. Open our eyes to see that you are here and you are with us and you are able. Come and pour out your spirit. Give to each one what they need this day. And burn in our hearts an Advent anthem for your glory. We ask it for Jesus' sake.